Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. So... Do people not really remember Quadratic or Crazy after they get out of high school? <laughs> what? You mentioned something. And you you said like it, it's, you mentioned Quadratic Equation being a thing that you just like isn't important after you get out of Algebra Two. Can you say the Quadratic Equation? Yes, because Miss Luscombe taught it to us. The <laughs> pop goes the weasel. Hate everything X about that. Equals negative B <laughs> oh, plus or minus the square root. What? D square minus okay, four AC. You're listening to the Life as Leadership podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Life as Leadership podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about Monday's interview with Lee Carraher, and joining me back in the studio to discuss the episode are my friends and fellow leaders, Cody Coleman and Jake Sullivan. So what did you guys think about the interview with Lee? I really enjoyed it. I thought that she expressed a wonderful aspect of leadership in her ability to pioneer a field that I didn't realize existed. Yeah, sure. And I do think that people are talking about generations more. I don't know if it's because we just are collecting data more often or or what exactly it is. But but definitely people are talking about generations a lot. And millennials, of course, were yeah. the, the popular ones to talk about. Now <laughs> it's Gen course. Z, which we millennials see begrudgingly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I actually found it really interesting how she talked about in, in 2008, she got her uh, quote-unquote new batch and had a 100% fail rate. And in that, she never actually talked bad about the millennials or she didn't diss any of the generations or anything like that, but she adapted to that with her model. And she was like, well, it's, it's, it can't be them. If it's, if it's, you know, it can't all be bad basically is what she was saying. And I was like, that's actually a really cool point. And it's, it's kind of admirable at how adaptable she was. Yeah. And I think a lot of those frustrations that arise between generations come from those differing expectations. And one of the things she mentioned was time, but also just like uh, the, the way we, the way we spend our time, not just view it and yeah. things like that. Now, that that doesn't mean that everything is equally valuable, but right. I think there are a lot of things that it, there's just a, a, a total different perspective and, right. and, and expectation. So and one thing that she mentioned is that there are up to five generations in the workplace today. Mm-hmm. And so as you think back to your own jobs, and this might vary between the three of us, how many different generations do you work with? Well, so I actually just got done teaching. I've, I've just moved out of that and I'm, I'm moving into a new position as a, a researcher. But as I was teaching, it was very much all five generations. It was the very youngest Gen Zers because I was teaching them. You know, I wasn't necessarily working with them, but I was teaching them every day. And that's kind of working with them at, at that way. Sure. But, um, but that's all the way up to the oldest of them that are ready to retire and should have retired 10 years ago kind of stuff. Yeah. And and that was a really cool dynamic to see such a a large range of ages there and the different 
um, aspects or the different perspectives of every one of those generations is, is a big difference. And you can, you could see it in everyday conversations. Everybody's saying, Oh, this about the other. And D- did you notice a generational divide or was it, was it just a different perspective that you were working with when you were talking with someone who was older? Um, there's probably a divide, especially between, I would say the, the gen X generation and the millennial generation. Interesting. And it it comes out in the way they talk about almost how you present yourself as as a professional. Yeah, which was really interesting because you know Gen Xers were always every single day without fail, button up shirt, khakis and a belt, and that was every single day. And that was we, for the guys, I assume. Yeah, you know, of course, you know, and for the younger guys, the millennials, it was like untucked like short sleeve button up shirts with some skinny khakis or something like that, you know? So it's a, it's completely Representing different generation. Well, right. Yeah. So, I mean, and it didn't necessarily look super like sloppy or unprofessional, but it was a definite difference there in the way they presented themselves. And that was like a big discussion of, you know, presenting yourself a certain way is the best way to lead and stuff like that. Um, yep. but this new job I'm in, it's just the four generations. So, and that's the, the older. And so you'd be, the, you'd be the youngest generation working yeah, there as a millennial. Definitely. one of the youngest. And, and I should say before we move forward, I, I don't like the stratification. I don't like seeing life through the lens of generations and I get tired of talking about millennials all the time. Right. It's, yeah. I feel like it's overused, but I at agree. the same time, I think this interview with Lee kind of highlights the, the need for some of some better understanding around generations. So we're going to be saying millennial a lot, Gen X, boomer a lot. So just uh, get used to that for this episode, and we we won't (laughs) try to make a habit of it throughout every episode moving forward. But Jake, what are some of your thoughts? I know you, okay, so just to set it up, you own a subway. And so it's it's not a whole lot of people that you're working with, but at, at the beginning of last episode, you kind of talked about some of the franchisees and things like that. So maybe who, who, who do you work with and what are some of the generations involved there? For most of my life, professional career, whatever you want to call it, I've been working with specifically Gen Xers and millennials. And I think once uh, I bought this restaurant and sort of felt like I'd made it. And part of that was I was working with baby boomers and like on an equal standing of the boomers. And so these are people that have lived their life and made something themselves. And like, I'm up there with them now looking. You're just kind of walking it. I don't looking, belong here. Looking back at the other millennials, like <laughs> I, I made it through the doors with the boomers. <laughs> all, all looking jealously, trying to catch a glimpse of what Jake's doing now. So, so, so you essentially are working with boomers in that regard. And then who, who are the people that you tend to hire? What generation? Is it millennials or... Is, is there more variation? Mostly millennial. Um, probably pulling some Gen Z now, but for the most part, it's been millennial. So another thing that, that Lee mentioned is that you have a lot of people coming from the education system who are used to getting uh, a five-point GPA or you know higher than a four-point GPA on a four-point GPA scale. And so when they come into the workplace, they're used to from their education experience, having really 
high grades. Mm-hmm. But the work that they're putting out at first, just because of the learning curve, is not up to that level. And there's kind of a disconnect there. We kind of discussed this in a previous episode with with Brian and Bo from the Money Guy Show. Mm-hmm. It was episode 13, if you want to go back and listen to it. But they talk, we, we had the same type of conversation. Like There's a disconnect mm-hmm. between people who do well in high school and college and people mm-hmm. who do well in the workplace. That doesn't always exist, but but is it... Should we expect that to exist, or is that kind of a failing of our educational system that people come into the workplace not prepared, or they come into the mm-hmm. workplace having done well in school, but that doesn't necessarily end up being the case where they work? I like it in theory because I think you're rewarding people for taking on a bigger challenge, but what happens too often in practice is you end up with the more naturally gifted people being pushed into those classes and sort of getting a reward for being ahead of the curve already. And then when they come into it, they're used to being there just because it's where they've been placed, not yeah. something that they've chosen. That's actually a really interesting question because in, in college, of course, I went through the education program and everything. And one of the big things that they say all the way through the education program is this will never prepare you for actually being in the classroom. Like you can't learn experience as a teacher. Yeah. You know, and that's until you're there in it. Um, and I, I just wonder how often that is the case, you know, and of course you look at high schools and college, they look at a lot of theory and stuff like that. You know, if you're learning algebra one in high school, sure. You're not going to remember the quadratic formula. You're not going to need that every day, but it's, it's those things I think that teach you how to think. And I think that point gets bypassed too often is, you know, maybe in the education system, it's, it's not necessarily how do I prepare you for this specific job? It's how do I prepare you to think and logically reason through some of these things to be able to perform a job, any job really. And of course, knowing more of that material helps. Yeah. So I, I, I do think that education is important, but the fact that people are coming into jobs with a uh, 4.8 out of a 4.0 scale that aren't able to do their job super effectively. Is is there something wrong with that or should that be expected? I think there's definitely a, a something wrong with that um, because kind of what that shows is when you look at the overall education system, this is, this means that the classes are not necessarily getting easier, but the grades given are given at less of a rigor than anything. It's it's not something I'm super mad at right now because I'm getting my master's. It's sure. happened to me. You know? sure. I've ended up with curves that like there was a class, for instance, where the highest grade on any of the tests was a 55. And I ended up with a B plus in the class. Hmm. And I'm not mad about that because, I mean, I got a solid curve. But, you know, is it is is there a problem with the highest grade in that class was a failing grade but everybody passed except for like one person. And for what it's worth, I, I was talking to someone n- not too long ago about his PhD program, and 25 or 30 years ago, that same thing was happening. So oh, okay. it, well, I, I don't think it's just unique to, to our generation, right. although I do think that there are, I think the grading has become, e- it seems like the grading has become yeah. easier at times in our system. And I just wonder if that's become the expectation now, though. Like back then, you know, maybe it wasn't the expectation that you're going to get that curve, but now, like, if I'm, if I'm taking a class and I know that everybody's not doing so hot, 
we're still going to end up with good grades because there's going to be a curve. There kind of has to be at this point, you know, if you, if you, uh, work with your classmates properly, you can, you can all <laughs> right. get out without, like, Hey, hey nobody passed this test for me. <laughs> I was in a lot of AP classes in high school because I was good at taking tests. And I think I got rewarded for being in those classes when in fact I was not invested in learning the way that it looks on the resume just because yeah. Mm, yeah. I was told, Hey, you should be in this class because you made a pretty high grade. Yeah. So the big thing, the big point here is that these kids are moving into the workforce. Yeah. They're getting jobs with these 4.8 on a 4.0 GPA scale and they're doing quote unquote good work. But once they're in that, they may not be prepared. They may not understand the expectation level in a way that is, is healthy for the work environment. So, you know, how do you facilitate the environment of these kids who are doing that, that good work, but it simply just isn't good enough? How do you facilitate the environment to grow those people into that job without scaring them off, without burning them out, without um, overwhelming them? Yeah, I, I think one of the big things is having a culture where it's okay not to have everything right. And I think, mm-hmm. I think honestly, a lot of workplaces do that pretty well. Maybe not at top level firms where, you know, expertise is required at the very right. moment you begin work. But I'm just saying that because I'm imagining that could be the case. I have no reason to actually think <laughs> right. that. I think the good leaders will will kind of, they will help new workers to get used to the job, give yeah. them some time. Now, yeah. that doesn't mean that new workers can just kind of hang out and not apply themselves. Right. Your transition time may not be that long. But still allowing for a transition time. Also, I think it's really important that young people have humility when they come in to realize that they don't know everything and that they have they have more to learn. And it, it, if there is that grace period, that training time from the employer and the employee comes in with humility, then I think that allows for an opportunity for that new employee to kind of get up to speed at a more rapid pace because there's that flexibility mm-hmm. and also the employee is coming willing to learn mm-hmm. knowing that they don't know it all. I think it also helps as a employer, teacher, leader to be realistic about where your employees or students are starting at. Mm-hmm. And yeah. some of it might be on on the other end, on the side of the leader, seeing that 5.0 and expecting more yeah, that's rather actually than a great actually point. evaluating when they get there, where they're at and how yeah. to go from where they are, not where you expect them to be. Yeah. yeah. Employers may not necessarily be privy to the, the changes in the educational system. And they say, wow, they're 125% of the last <laughs> guy I hired. I, I wow. thought a hundred percent is as good as you can get. That's uh that's something that I had not considered. And it's a really good point. That is a really good point. Cause it, what that shows is that, you know, these kids with the, the 5.0 GPA or whatever, they're not afraid to step out and work really hard. Cause like, even with just that, that 5.0 on a 4.0 scale, like you still have to work really hard to pass these AP classes. You know, if, I mean, you got to study hard, you got to, you got to work hard and like this still shows a solid work ethic, but you know, even if they're not prepared for the job, what they can, what that does show is that they're willing to do the job ultimately. Right. And if they're willing to learn and we're realistic about where they're starting, that only leaves how do you motivate the growth as as the leader? What specific actions can we take to help them become that 5.0 person that they are expected to be? As, as an employer, a lot of that is training well in the new atmosphere and 
and being complimentary, congratulatory when they do things well Mm -hmm. uh, to support where they have shown improvement and then to direct where they need to improve more in a positive manner. Yeah, definitely. And that's, that's something else that even coming into this new job that I'm in now, the expectation there, you know, from the very beginning, they said, you'll never be prepared to do this job coming straight into it. It's, it's a learning curve for everybody. Yeah. And they, they expect that coming in. So it's really nice to have this barrier of, I've got to learn this stuff, but they 100% expect me to learn this stuff. Um, and as I'm doing that, some of the greatest things of my day, the greatest times are when people walk up and are like, you know what, you're doing a great job. I see you working really hard. We know that you're still struggling with these things because you were just ignorant of these things. You don't actually know what you don't know yet. And when, when I realize that they realize that, yeah, I still don't quite know what I'm doing yet. And they, they not only acknowledge that, but they give me feedback on it. They give me the, here are the next steps. Here's what you need to know to be able to do this job. And they're encouraging the entire time. It's always a positive atmosphere. It's never a, why don't you know what you're doing yet? It's a, hey, let's, let's get through this together because we've all been there and we're all trying to move forward together as a team. And that is one of the greatest things about this job so far is that everybody's got that mindset of it's a team thing. We're all moving forward together. And I think for me, that's the greatest motivator of all of it is I don't want to let my team down because, you know, I don't want to be the weakest link anyway. So that's a a solid way to do it. I think. Well, it's kind of neat because you are speaking from a perspective of someone who's just transitioned from a teaching job to another job. Right. And so you can really speak to a lot of this from a personal experience. (laughs) Right. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. So like you said, I am coming into this, this new job as a young millennial. Like I'm one of the youngest there and it's, it's this really interesting thing that I've been, I've been thinking about a lot lately is, you know, for several millennials and most Gen Zers right now, we're coming into the workforce as the low man on the totem pole. We don't have the experience that the boomers have. We don't have the experience that Gen Xers have. How do you walk into a job like that with less experience and still lead people or be a leader as someone that's not somebody else's actual team lead or something like that? How do you, how do you walk in like that and still present yourself in a way that one day you'll know that everyone will know that this guy's a leader or this girl's a leader. Yeah. So basically as a young leader, how do you, how do you come in and lead from a non-positional role, lead lead by your influence and things like that? Definitely. One of the things that Lee hit on was the generational sizes and with millennials being soon to be the largest workforce uh, generation, I think there is a built-in expertise in that, that we understand other people we have this in common with more. So that allows us to lead other people in the workforce that are millennials to understand the markets that our jobs are trying to reach out to because millennials are also the biggest part of the economic market growing too. Whether it's the people below you, the people above you, wherever it is, because of the commonalities we have, the shared life experiences, it can be easier to be a leader in your own group than it is sort of trying to lead outside of it. Yeah, but I also do I also do think that if you're not careful and you are a millennial and you realize that you're going to be the largest group 
soon in the workforce that could potentially make you lazy and help you to become used mm-hmm. to communicating with people in your generation right. and n- not necessarily right. having to be worried about communicating with the the boomer generation that is becoming less a part of the workforce mm-hmm. and Gen Xers and just kind of become become that new dominant generation right. where everyone says, hey, you got to be like us and everyone else is going, please no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Well, maybe look out because Gen Z is coming. <laughs> yeah, well, right. that's that's always a good thing to keep in mind that and this is true with anything in life, you know, you may be, you may be the one in charge for now, but when you're not, right. How is that going to come back on you? And if you've right. led well, if you've given other people opportunities and things like that, that's probably going to come back to you to some degree. Yeah. So another thing that, that Lee talked about was the boomerang principle, and she's written an entire book off of this concept, but it was, it was an extremely simple concept. She said, the boomerang principle is the idea that organizations that encourage and allow former employees to return to them have a strategic advantage over those who don't. So I'll just go and say that again for those of you who are listening and just got cued back in. <laughs> organizations that encourage and allow former employees to return to them have a strategic advantage over those who don't. So what are your thoughts on that? I thought it was a really interesting uh, concept. It's something that, that makes sense if you ever leave a job. And again, like this is kind of fresh for me because I just left a job and it, again, it just, it just kind of makes sense to do like, you don't want to leave any place, whether that's a job, whether that's a relationship or anything, you don't want to burn those bridges as you move forward with your life because one day you may want to come back to that, you know, like, so I taught for several years and now I'm, I'm going to do this job. So one day if I decide to go teach, you know, I learned that a good resignation letter is really, really important. Hmm. You know, saying something like, hey, I really enjoyed this opportunity. I learned so much. I grew so much from this place, and I love the people here. Thank you so much for this opportunity to to be a part of this team and to grow here. Uh, I know that my life has taken me to a different place, but maybe one day if I ever decide that, you know, this new job is not my thing, and maybe if, if I want to come teach again, I would love to be able to come back here and do that. Yeah. You know, so like... And, and I think at, you know, with the way that I left that job, I would be welcomed there. If there was ever a position open or something like that, they would, they would probably accept me back because I didn't leave on bad terms. So coming from, I guess, not necessarily the leadership side of that, you know, coming from the being led side of that, you never want to burn those bridges as, as you move on, you know, so being a leader, you don't want to burn those bridges of somebody else. Hey, maybe they do want to come back. If they were, you know, somebody that is good for the place is, you know, they work real hard. You don't want to say that, oh, they're dead to me. Like, like we said. Um, so I think it, I think it makes a lot of sense and I think it's really useful. Um, I just never thought about it as they've got this distinct advantage over other places. I've dealt with this sort of thing very recently. Uh, First off, quick service restaurant like Subway, not usually a life lifelong. They don't usually job. come back to be an, a sandwich artist after a few years. Yeah, well, and if they, it, there can be a bit of sort of shame. I feel like, and like it, it seems like it's one of those things that we put as a as a entry level sort of gig. Mm, um, yeah. And so there's a lot of culture building into that on my end to like let people know that this is not just for 
uh, people entering the workforce for the first. This isn't just your first job. This is something you can come back to if you ever need to, even if it is just for some part-time extra hours over seasonal or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. And I had an employee recently who, on her job interview, asked what her life goals were. She wanted to be a nail technician. A month or two into working for me, she took some time off to get certified, take her exams. A couple months later, found out she was certified, and then within a month had a job offer, and they wanted her by the end of the week. So I got a three-day notice, and Dang. like that was kind of tough, but also I knew she was certified. I knew she was looking for another job, like a job in this field, and probably one of my proudest moments in my young career as an employer was... She stayed till the day she started her next job and she closed that night and did an amazing job. That's way cool. I've had so many sort of what I consider low level jobs that I just, I was ready to go. I was walking out the door. I was doing (laughs) half of what was required, if that. And it made me, it made me feel good to know that I was the type of boss that she was willing to commit that time to. Yeah. Nice. That's really cool. Well, with that, let's go ahead and turn to our key takeaways for the day. What are some of the things that you think are really important for listeners to take from Monday's interview with Lee? Cody, how about you? I think one of the biggest takeaways is to be adaptable. Um, you know, this this whole discussion talking about generations, you know, the times are changing. Um, and that's that's just kind of the way it works. You know, the every generation is going to have a different perspective, a different thing that they do. Um, so we as leaders have to be adaptable to that and to be able to motivate them in such a way that maybe we couldn't motivate, you know, Gen Xers. Like they, they have a different motivation than millennials who are going to have a different motivation than Gen Zers. Um, so we got to be adaptable and kind of like Lee talked about, we got to be specific in our communication. Um, that's going to be super important, especially with the kind of like you said at the beginning, the, the difference in lingo and the way people speak all right we're gonna have to be very specific about that so i think those are the two biggest key takeaways there jake how about you i had two that were kind of connected maybe i have one that's a two-parter um, <laughs> but loyalty is not transactional that it's a thing that sticks around after whatever arrangement you have because of the relationship that has been built and if you are a solid leader you will build that loyalty and it just it seems like one of those things that can keep you established after whatever sort of initial relationship you've defined. Yeah, yeah. My, I have three key takeaways here. My first one relates to that loyalty as well. Uh, lifelong loyalty doesn't have to mean lifelong employment, which is kind of a, wow. a paradigm shifter for people. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, it, at the same time, lifelong loyalty doesn't have to mean that your followers will always be your followers. And I think as leaders, oh, yeah. we have to get over that. Yeah. And so because of that, you don't know what the future is going to be like, so keep that relationship strong. Whether it's a follower, an employee, keep your relationship strong with those people, and you don't know what that's going to look like in the future. In the future, they could come back to you. In the future, they could really succeed, and you go to them. Yeah. Who knows? So just uh, develop that lifelong loyalty and be prepared for whatever happens in life. Mm-hmm. The second one is help people succeed in their own journey. And that can be difficult for us to do because we're trying to succeed in ours. But step back and begin to realize that part of your journey is helping other people to succeed in theirs. And the final one is use specificity when you're communicating with people from other generations. Don't assume things. Make sure that you're very clear and seek clarity as well. And that will really help you in your 
professional work experience. Well, Cody, Jake, thank you for joining the show this week. Yeah, it's been You're good. Welcome. Thanks for joining the show this week. I hope you learned something new and feel more prepared to take leadership in your own life to the next level. If you found this content valuable and would like to help out the podcast, here are three things you can do. One, subscribe to the podcast so you'll get new episodes each week as they come out. Two, share this episode with someone you think could benefit from it. And three, give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes or wherever else you listen to podcasts. All three of these actions will help to make it easier for others to find us and join the community. You can never have too many good leaders, right? Until next time, keep living and leading well. X equals negative B plus or minus square root B squared minus 4AC. All over to A. All day. Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist, it feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon. And until then, keep living and leading well.